0: We now have come to the fifth in our sermon series on work that pleases God. And our theme today is turning water into wine. What we mean by that is finding spiritual meaning in our work, not despite it, not around it, in our work. How do we find that meaning? Now, we might call it a special discontent in the 21st century. And we're surrounded by all sorts of messages that give us expectations. And the American dream is always Work as a career. That's the expectation, all the TV shows and things, work as a career. And what that means to be a career is it's personally satisfying. We're forever developing our skills, right? We're receiving affirmation and recognition, and there's money. It just can't be better. Well, in practical reality, that doesn't describe most people. Most people spend a good portion of their waking hours doing something they never, ever planned to do and, uh, and never imagined doing They never planned it. They never imagined doing it. For those of you who don't know me, um, I've been a CPA for over 30 years. This is a second career, and this may come as a surprise. When I was a child, I never dreamed of 10 keys and spreadsheets, not once. And when I did become a CPA, it wasn't for the glamor, the excitement or to make myself irresistible to women. OK. OK, not once. OK. So a lot of people <laughs> So a lot of people are in this position. they're not living the dream. Often they're struggling to get by. And often they're not advancing careers, they're holding down jobs. That's the reality for, for many, many people. The result, sadly, in many cases is what we might paraphrase Thoreau, lives of quiet despair. The hope has gone out. The pilot light has gone out. They have no ownership in their jobs in the workplace. You see that. They're going through the motions, just waiting for it to all end. They're sort of the workplace zombies. You know, they're there, but the living dead. They like to say things like this, if the minimum wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be the minimum. Or I love this, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. So, how do we as Christians enter into that place of quiet despair that we see all around us? How do we get into that place? Well, first of all, as Christians, we are quintessentially the people of hope. That's why we're wearing white, the resurrection color. We are all about hope because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, in today's epistle, the um, Apostle Peter tells us we should always be ready to give a reason for that hope. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, sake, he says, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always ready to make a defense. Now here Peter, of course, is talking about explaining our hope of eternal life thanks to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's more than that. Through the centuries, a vital part of that defense has been the evidence of lives transformed by hope. That's the evidence of lives transformed by hope. This is always the evidence that unbelievers really find persuasive. They see lives that are changed. They see joy and engagement in impossible situations. This is, you just can't explain it. In these circumstances, how can they be joyful? How can they remain engaged? It's Paul says, since it can't be explained, he says, we're talking about a peace, he says, which passes all understanding, Philippians 4.7. So what can we do as Christians to live out the hope of the resurrection even in the dreariest workplace? And how can we offer that hope to everyone around us? Well, the answer shortly is we can proclaim the incredible good news that any work can be divine service, thanks to Jesus Christ. He can turn the plain water of the dreariest, simplest job into the wine of divine service to God. It's a miracle. Like that first sign in Cana, he can turn the water of any situation into the wine of service to God. So how do we get there? Where do we begin? Well, maybe we begin by clearing up a very common misconception among Christians. A lot of people say, well, the trouble with work is it's really a curse, right? It's in Genesis. That's where it started. Work of its very nature is a sad necessity. It's a curse. They remember Genesis 3 where it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. But you know, work precedes the fall. If we look at Genesis 2, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Before there was a fall, there was work, to work it and to keep it. Stewardship of creation is the second of the 613 commandments of the Torah. The first is be fruitful and multiply, and then it says says, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. We, become, we were called to be co-creators with God, to join in tending his creation. That's from the very beginning. Remember, Jesus talks about marriage. He says, it was not so in the beginning. And Sir sort of with work, he's saying, it was not so. It was not a curse. It was a blessing. It was an invitation to be partners with God in creation. Well, you might say, well, that might have been true then, but we, the fall has happened. We're living after the fall. So how does that really change anything? Well, this is what Easter is about. Jesus, by taking human nature, has forever changed everything he touched or experienced, everything. Think about it. Jesus doesn't need to touch people to cure them. Remember the 10 lepers at a distance? He told us to go away, and they, they suddenly become clean. But the Gospels have this story of lepers coming to him and making it a point that he touched them to cure them. Now, normally in the Old Testament, If you touch a leper, you become unclean. But Jesus changes the laws of nature. He makes the rivers flow backwards, as it were. When he touches a leper, the leper becomes clean. He doesn't become unclean. And what about Jesus' baptism? People sometimes are sort of embarrassed. Well, why is Jesus being baptized with John's baptism of repentance? Well, he has nothing to repent of. He has no sin. Everyone else is baptized to have their sins removed. Jesus is baptized to take on our sins. Jesus purifies the water he makes the water and gives it its power That's why we have at, at baptisms in our tradition. We have the, the candle the paschal candle symbol of Christ going into the water Reminding us it was Christ going into the waters of his baptism that may, gave baptismal waters their power the power comes from Christ When Christ went into the waters which symbolized death they became the waters of life And what about death itself? When Jesus experiences death, he makes it a gateway to eternal life. Everything Jesus touches changes. That's redemption. So how does this effect work? There's a verse we tend to go past, I think too quickly. In Luke 3:23 it says Jesus when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age. My, that's interesting. But you'd say, why would he say that? Well, anyone would realize that a little Jewish boy was an adult working at 13. That's why you have your Bar Mitzvah. You're a full son of son of the Commandments. He had to have a job. This was this was the ancient world. He had to have a job. Jesus had a regular job, not a career, a regular job from 13 to 30. He wasn't just the son of the carpenter. Look what it says in Mark 6:20, 30, rather he is not this the carpenter and by the way the word "tekton" in Greek doesn't just mean a carpenter like we think it's, it's basically any construction worker someone who's involved in construction projects Jesus had a regular job most of his life and that means he's changed work forever it will never be the same because anywhere Jesus passes everything changes So thanks to Jesus' work, once again, as it was at first, thanks to the second Adam, becomes partnership with God. He makes it possible for our regular work, no matter what it is, to be a partnership with a living God, partners in creation. So what does that look like in a perfectly ordinary job? Well, first, we need to see with God's eyes. Remember in the story where David is chosen, they send the prophet Samuel, and... He's looking at all these sons. He's not told which son it is. They bring sons. This has got to be him. He's very impressive. He carries himself well, etc. And God corrects him. He says, no, no. It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Seeing with God's eyes. The gift of generosity. You know, it takes a lot to impress Jesus. He's always saying, you of little faith. But one day he's at the temple with the apostles, and he says, wow, look at this. There's a woman putting in two coins, probably the smallest giver of anyone there. And he says, This is what it looks like. She's given more than ever. This is the biggest giver in the temple, more than anyone else. Why? She gave everything. So they all gave out of their abundance. She gave everything. This is what gives. It's not the amount, it's the generosity. Is giving everything is what counts. That's how God views things. God doesn't need our stuff. So how does that fit in then? With workplace well we have an incredible promise that we have in Colossians from from Paul a promise of Christ you know think about people who have troublesome careers imagine slaves on servants in the ancient world talk about a path you have not chosen talk about not being personally recognized and affirmed this is it this is the bottom and what does Paul say they "What, what about us what's our what's our path how can we find meaning in life We have no choice. We can't change our situation. This is it. And Paul says, an incredible word of hope, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's our bulletin verse. You are serving the Lord Christ. He says, it doesn't matter what. It's like that woman. It didn't matter that it wasn't much money. That's what he wanted, and that's what she gave. He's saying, whatever situation you are in, if we offer it heartily to God, to God, Jesus takes that as performed specifically for him. That's a service. Ignore who your boss is. That's a service to me. And what transforms it? the complete ownership, giving ourselves completely to it. He says heartily, again, work heartily as for the Lord. That changes everything. And this was one of the beautiful truths recovered by the Reformers. You know, During the Middle Ages, taking nothing away from, from the priests and, and the monks and the nuns, etc. but everyone else was sort of second-class runners-up. And they said, wait a second. Every single human life has an equal possibility to be fulfilled in God. There's not better or worse. It's every one of us in a position to offer perfect service to God. A powerful truth of the Reformation. Everyone is equally in a position to serve God. Now, how do we do that? Like Paul says, serving heartily is not by putting up with our circumstances, the change, embracing them for God. Not putting up, embracing those circumstances. You know, Mother Teresa explains it uh, once. She said, you know, it's... Doing it with a big smile in her very simple broken English. It's doing it with a big smile. Anyone can do it, but doing it with a big smile. Or Remember when Jesus in the garden says, not your will but mine be done. It's basically saying to God in those circumstances, if this is what you want, I want it too, because you want it. That's what Jesus says throughout the Gospel of John. My will, my, the, my meat and drink is to do the Father's will. If this is what you want, I want it too. Not I'm putting up with it. I wanted to. This is how God converts the ordinary waters of everyday work into the wine of loving service to God. A miracle like that first miracle in Cana. And his disciples saw it and they believed in him. But there's more. You know, Christians in regular jobs are in the best position to promote the kingdom by word and example. Look at the examples Jesus uses about moving the kingdom. He compares Christians to salt. You're the salt of the earth. Well, salt doesn't do anything if it stays in a salt shaker. It's only by virtue of being spread that it does anything. That's where it takes its action. He says, what would I compare the kingdom of God to? He says, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Leaven that stays aside, isn't put in dough, stays just leavened. Its whole purpose is fulfilled by being in the world. Finally, Jesus says, be fishers of men." You have to go near the water to fish. So Paul actually says, this might surprise us, we talk about kingdom work. Paul's view of ministry is counterintuitive. Paul says all the real ministry is going on out here. The job of clergy, I think, is to equip people to perform that ministry. That's where, that's the front lines. That's where ministry happens. Whereas he said that Ephesians 4:11 through 12, when he talks about the gifts given to the church. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. But why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, we're in a unique position, those of us who work in the world. We have a credibility that no one else can have because we're living in the same... It's why people have support groups, for example, with cancer and things. No one else can really understand. They try to understand, and you appreciate that, but they really can't. But people know when you're right next to them that they can believe it. They know that we are in a unique position of credibility. So when we say, I want to do kingdom work, well, it is kingdom work. That's exactly the whole job of kingdom work is to equip it to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So how does all of this fit into our personal spiritual life? I'll tell you, share something with you from my, my prayer life in the morning, every morning. I've always found I've loved the image of the temple. Do you remember when it talks about the temple or the tent of witness, that what you had is you went in the holy place, and then on the one side you had this wonderful lamp you know, the sevenfold lamp. You had this uh, seven-fold lamp. On the other side was a table with the breads of the presence, you know, the, the, the showbreads, as they used to say in the old King James Bible. And then you had this altar of incense right before the veil. And then out in the courtyard, you had the, the great altar for the sacrifices. All four of those were necessary. It wasn't a choice. All four were part of divine service. And I know in my personal life, how I look upon it. How do I fit work into that? Here's how I look upon it. My prayer every morning, like the lamp, is a knowledge of the living in the presence of God. Lord, light that lamp in my life. That I, I live in Your light. That I know You're here. That I never lose sight of the fact that I see everything in Your light. Do we see light? That I see everything in the light of Your presence. The practice of the presence of God. And remember, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every day, we're presented with opportunities to do beautiful things to give glory to God. So I pray with Lord, put out the showbread of good works to give you glory. What about the altar of incense? Well, this is... This is basically our ongoing prayer of praise and thanksgiving. You know, when we're parents, one of our greatest joys when you give uh, at Christmas is give presents to children, is to see their excitement and their gratitude. They love it. They hug you. God isn't different. That's why he describes himself as our father. Nothing pleases God more than what is called in the Psalms, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, of praise. Nothing is more disrespectful to God. Not noticing this day is a crime against God. This is a day like this. Every beautiful thing in our lives, our lives should be filled with praise and thanksgiving, and not just for us. We talk about another thing of the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers. What is that priesthood? A priest doesn't pray for himself. He brings the prayers of every. Christ, when he goes into the inner sanctuary, isn't praying for himself. He's bringing the prayers of the whole world before the Father right in Hebrews when he comes to that sanctuary. So we're not offering just praises and thanksgiving for ourselves, but those who are not yet ready to offer praise and thanksgiving. We are bringing the praise and thanks for the entire world. That is what it means, the priesthood of all believers. We stand like Moses standing before God for all of Israel when they were hardly faithful. We stand before God for the world. But the last thing is that altar of sacrifice, the hardest one, the altar of Holocaust, The faithful, loving performance of all the acts that make up our daily life. Not just doing them, offering them to God by doing them with love. We can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Lord, let every act in my life be performed as a glory to you, as done to you. So in conclusion, Christ has assured us, this is incredibly good news, that he accepts any work we do as being done for him if we do it with our heart. Everyone is in the position to honor God perfectly. No one, Like that widow, the fact she had no money, she was actually in a better place to honor God. It was easier for her to give everything in a sense. And in the worse our situation, the more we're in that same case, so we can offer more to God, not less. God sees with different eyes. With that in mind, let's especially take to heart today, in a few minutes we're gonna pray, pray the prayer of thanksgiving after communion. And I would encourage us to to pray in a special way as we prepare for the coming work week that's about to start. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.